Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Tonight we're going to start a little mini-series. Pastor does those many series all the time. So I'm going to do a mini series. <laughs> Mine will truly be a mini series. <laughs> uh, a few years ago, I taught a six-week class on the life of David. And so the Lord's been dealing with talking to me here in the last few days uh, about David and some of the principles we can learn from David. And uh, so I pulled out some of my notes from that class and and this is kind of going to go a little different direction than what that class happened to be. We're going to be able to use some of that, but certainly not all of it. There's just more things that, that I see now that uh, I think we're going to get a lot of that. You know, we, we, spend, we spend so much time in the New Testament, and we should, because that's where we live, is in the realities of the New Testament. But there are so many things that can be learned from the people of the Old Testament. Um, you know, we, we tend to look sometimes, you know, especially like me, I was, I was raised in church. I mean, my first outing after I was born was to church, you know, and I've been in church all of my life, except for that, you know, little segment of time where just backslidden as a goose. Uh, but, um, you know, I went to church, you know, growing up, we had church four times a week. We had Sunday morning, we had Sunday night, we had Wednesday night, we had Friday night. And then revivals would come along and we'd be in church every night with no Saturday break for two and three weeks at a time. You know, we thought, man, this is wonderful when, when uh, my dad, who was the pastor, said, we're going to have revival for the next two weeks, but we're going to take Saturday night off. We went, wow, we're going to take Saturday night off? How about that? And so I grew up knowing the stories of the Bible. And sometimes we, I, I think we, we have a tendency to look at, at these accounts as just stories. They're not just stories. They are historical fact. These are people who actually lived. This is, I mean, and I love history. So for me, going back to to these things, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, a great thing. But I go back and I look with different eyes. And I see things in their lives that I never saw, obviously, growing up as a kid. You know, to me, David was just the the little kid who became king and who slew the giant and had a slingshot, you know, and that's that's about it. You know, but, I mean, it was important, and it's important for your children to learn these about these people in the Old Testament because there are principles and elements of their lives that we can apply to ourselves today. And so really that's what we're going to be talking about is principles learned from David. But I I want to go back and give you a little bit of history here so that some of the things that we'll say later on, you know, will make, uh, be a little more in context. You know, so you'll find most everything, you know, in the life of David over in 1st and 2nd Samuel. Um, Of course, over it's over in Chronicles some too, so but uh, just, we're going to go over there. And I want to just give you some background tonight in starting this. Um, according to my research, Saul ruled for about 20 years as the first king of the land of Israel. Now, as we know, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, 
the people of Israel began to demand a king. Now, the problem that they were having at that time was they had been ruled by, by prophets that had, been, had come along and that God had ordained to be in their lives. Uh, pretty much they were the people who kind of directed the, the path of the country. And, and um, they looked around, and Samuel followed the prophet Eli. Eli's sons were notoriously bad. And so God took the priesthood away from Eli and raised up Samuel. The problem there that happened with Samuel, Samuel was a wonderful prophet. But when it came to his own household, he repeated the mistakes of Eli. And his children became a detriment to him. Because usually, you know, when somebody was named as prophet, you know, the next next prophet after them came from their own household. But these men who were the sons of Samuel repeated some of the same kind of mistakes that the sons of Eli did. And so the people were very disillusioned. And they began to say, we want a king. We want a king just like all these other countries and nations around us. We want a king. Now Samuel took that very badly because he thought it was a slap in his face. And God said, you know, Samuel, it's not you they're rejecting it's me. You know, sometimes you have to keep things in perspective. You know, when you travel through life and people reject you because of your Christian testimony, you know, don't take it personally. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. And see, that's what these people were doing. They weren't rejecting the prophet as much as they were, in, were rejecting the God who put that prophet in place. And so, God had already made provision. Was one of the interesting things I found out, you know, years ago when I had done the study of the life of David, was that God had already provided for a king at some future date. I want you just to see that. Go with me to Genesis. God already had plans. See, God has plans in motion a lot of times that we're not aware of, but it needs to be done in his timing, not in man's timing. And so in Genesis 17, what you'll see in verse 6, you'll see that he he said this. He's talking to Abraham. He said, I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. Now, if he had said a king shall come out of thee, we might have thought that he meant Jesus, the king of kings. But he said kings, plural. So to me, that means that there was, there was going to be some natural kings along with, this, with a spiritual king. And if you go with me to uh, the same, same chapter, verse 16, it's, it's talking about Sarah. I will bless her and give thee a son of her also. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Genesis 49, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from from Judah. Now, the scepter is what? A scepter is something that a king has. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of his people people be. Now, Exodus 19, 6. I really want to just make sure you understand that God had already got a plan in, in, in 
in place. He already had something in place. And I want you to see the difference between a man who gets put into office because a people want him as opposed to when it's God's timing. And so in Exodus 19, verse 6, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Doesn't that sound like 1 Peter 2? Exactly. Deuteronomy 17. Hallelujah. Maybe you weren't raised with some of these, these uh, Old Testament history lessons, but if that's the case, then hopefully you'll learn some of that tonight anyway. Um, verse 14, when thou art come into the land where the Lord thy God giveth thee, shall possess it, shall dwell in there, I will set a king over me like as all the nations that are, are about me. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shall thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not a stranger, set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. See, he already had a plan. And then Judges 8.23. The judges are the ones who actually ruled, you know, in the land of Israel before kings came along. And the prophets certainly were in the middle of all of that. Um, Judges 8.23. And it says, And Gideon said, over the, said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. But, uh, you know, just, just, just know that there was already a plan in action. You know, it's important for us to always realize that Jesus didn't come about as just as a plan B. God always had him in, in motion. God always had that plan in motion. The day he created Adam, the plan to have Jesus come was already in motion. You know, isn't that nice to know that God has foreseen so much about our lives, about us, about the way the world will go, that he's already, before we ever could possibly even be considered, be thought of, be even even comprehended, naturally speaking, God's already got our answers and solutions and avenues laid out. Oh, I mean, to me, that's just, that's absolutely amazing. If, if I really get an understanding of that, then I have to, un have to come to a place where I'm not going to be worried about anything. If I really know that long ago God had already ordained and set in place any answer I would need, then I could just sit back and just say, ah, I got nothing to worry about. He's, he's already got it taken care of. Really, that's where we ought to be living every single day is knowing that God's already got everything taken care of. Everything's already planned out. Everything is already in motion. The answer's on its way. I don't even have to, I don't even have to consider anything except that just, be, just thanking him for what he's already doing. So anyway, in 1 Samuel 8, Israel demands a king. Samuel goes and he warns the people, you know, you're not going to like this. This is not going to turn out well. And in um, chapter 9, Saul is chosen and anointed king. He's, uh, he's installed as king. And it seems as though he's a man of great humility because they had to go grab him and find him because he was hiding. And they had to get him and bring him out. But if you looked at this man, he was everything you thought a king should be. 
tall, handsome. Apparently, he was very charismatic. People just loved him. I mean, you took one look at him and went, ah, that's what a king should look like. Yes. Man's idea. Man's idea. Only looking at the outward. Only looking at what they can see with your natural eyes. Only considering things from a natural standpoint. You know, for somebody to be able to put into a leadership position of any kind, much more has to be considered than how they look, how they talk. There are people who are great orators, but their heart is not there. Who can say, who can speak, who can, who can convince, who can lay out a case, who can, who can persuade, who can, who can draw you in with their words and, and their speech and their rhetoric, and yet there's nothing there of God in the middle of it because man tends to look on just those outward natural abilities. And that's exactly what happened in the case of Saul. And so it didn't take too long before Saul's true nature began to show up. And uh, that's usually the case. You know, after somebody gets into a place in a position of authority, it doesn't take too long before their real self starts showing up. You know, and then you can see the evidence of this. This was a bad choice. We are not going to be happy with this. But now it's too late. There is a king in place. You asked for it, you got it. You know, sometimes, you know, in in life, we will bombard God with something that we want until he says, final, you know, that's what you want. You know, you you can can have it. And that's really not what I should be getting. It's not up to God to decide what I'm going to have. You know, it really is up to us. And just like my kids, you know, over growing up over the years, if they aggravated me enough about something, I'd say, fine, do it even though I knew it's not the best thing. Well, God can be the same way sometimes. If we just go, I insist on having it my way. I insist on this. I insist. He'll say, okay, fine. Have it your way. Go for it. You know, it's not a good idea, but we're not willing to listen to, willing to, listen to that at the time, are we? And so he'll let us have what we ask for, what we just think we've got to have. We've got to have, we've got to have it now, got to have it now. You know, how many times do I have told my kids, if you will just wait a little while longer, you can have this. No, I want it now. See, we, and in our society today, I'm telling you, have it your way and have it now is all most people can think of. And, you know, they're really, we're not any, really any different than these people, except our, with our technology, we've come to expect now. How many of you remember AOL when it first came out? And you, and you had to sign on, and you, got that, you know, I, could, I can do that sound for you you know, of, of, of AOL, and it would take forever to load, and we were so patient, and we're going, okay, yes, you know, we're going to get on the internet, okay, yeah, okay, okay, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting, and, you know, a, a little time goes by, we're going, okay, okay, we're ready to go, okay, and we had no problem with that, and then things sped up, and now if it takes longer than 10 seconds for that thing to boot up, we were like, what is the matter with this thing? <laughs> It is so slow. <laughs> Before microwaves, I mean, heavens to Betsy, you know, you had to turn on the oven. You had to put it in the pot on top of the stove to heat it up. And now it's like, can we live without our microwaves? I know there's a few of you who do. Why? I don't know. 
I think it's energy efficient to have a microwave. I don't have to heat the oven up just to heat something, some food up. But anyway, uh, back to my story. <laughs> it's really important for us to realize, though, that, that God's timing is everything. And it's when it's something that's vitally important that's at stake, it's vitally important that we use his timing and not our own. Because it just messes everything up. I have said over the years so many times that it's so much better to be a little late where things are concerned than to be too early. You know, God's timing is absolutely everything. I mean, there's so many examples in life, you know, where, where things, I mean, just came together exactly right because it was the right time, the right place. It was everything it should have been, and it worked great. I mean, for, for us, you know, when we were at Rama, I was very happy. We were, they had been there for the first year. I was had a job I loved. They loved me. I mean, I was blessed. You know, I, I was enjoying living out there. I was anticipating pastor going to a second year out there, and he tells me in the spring of 1980, we have to go home. And I'm going, why? I don't want to go home. You know, I don't know, but we have to go. Well, what are we going to do? I don't know, but we have to go. And I'm going, great. I'm just now getting settled in out here, and now you want to go home again to absolutely what? I don't know. Because now he had no job. I mean, and now I'm going to be without a job, you know, because we're going to go home. And, you know, as you know, you know, we've, we've told this story so many times. We got home on a, on a Saturday. Was it a Saturday? No, it was, yeah, it was a Saturday night. We got into Jacksonville, pulled into Jacksonville on a Saturday night, unloaded back and put our stuff back in our house on a Sunday. Uh, got things kind of straightened out, you know, and getting back to the business of living, you know, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. On Thursday, pastor goes over to see our pastor at a church, and as he walks in the door, he's handed a phone. Well, the guy I was talking about just walked in my door. Here, you talk to him. And that, that phone call led to a Bible study one week later that is this church. I mean, timing is everything. What if we had said, no, we want to stay one more year? Listen, there are things in your life that may not seem like significant events, but it might be just part of the timing of something that's extremely important. You know, you just need to just be led at all times that your time is the right time. Don't get ahead of God. Try not to get too far behind him. But being behind is a little bit better because when you're behind a little bit, you can still see out ahead of you. When you're out ahead of God, you know, you can't turn around a lot of times and take a look backwards and then go back and catch, you know, make a backtrack and, and catch back up to where you ought to be. So just, just know that, you know, if things don't seem like they're moving along as quickly as you th thought they were supposed to, learn to be patient. Thank God that patience is working in you so that the timing he has for your life, for the next step for your life, for the next thing to do, for some event to unfold, some circumstance to, to work out in the natural, uh, that it's the right time. It's the right time because it pays. Doesn't James said, let patience have her perfect work? There is an absolutely perfect work that God wants in your life. But if you get too impatient, you won't see the perfect work come into your life. You'll see something that might be good, but it won't be the best. It won't be the perfect. 
And that's what we're all looking for. Because when it's perfect, I mean, everything is exactly right. There's nothing you have to make do with. There's nothing you have to overcome. You just walk into that perfect place where, where it just, yes, this is the right thing. Don't get impatient. These people paid a high price. Israel paid a high price for the years they spent under the rule of Saul. Things did not go well for them. They suffered greatly at his hand. The more, he, the more uh, bizarre he got, the more out of, out of the will of God he got, the more out of line with, with the behavior that he should be having as king, the more they suffered under his rule. It was not good. And so you don't want to be in that place where you have to suffer because you didn't wait it out and, and wait for God's perfect time to do whatever it is you ought to be doing. You know, there's so many examples we could give, but time marches on. Hallelujah. Um, in uh, 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, go over there. Now, when the Lord had told Samuel that he was going to take the kingdom away from Saul and give it to another, Samuel was, was, not, was not happy. In verse 1, it says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? See, Samuel was the one who anointed Saul. He had something invested in Saul. And to see it just fall apart was... You know, uh, it was dismaying, to say the least, discouraging. It was upsetting to see that the man that he had anointed as king of his people, had, it had turned out so badly. And so he mourned for this. He mourned for, for Saul. He mourned for what could have been, what should have been. You know, all these things. And the Lord said, how long will you mourn for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. See, now it's not the people's choice. God says, I have provided a king. I have provided me a king. And so the first, one of the first principles then is that we want to talk about tonight is, is, is just David and the difference between David and, and Saul. Dave, David was not a man that somebody would look at and say, oh, he's so kingly. I mean, he just looks like a king. He acts like a king. He walks like a king. conducts himself like a king. He, he wasn't those things. But he had the most vital characteristic that was necessary. And it's when we, we think of David, we all go back to that scripture that said he was a man after God's own heart. In 1 Samuel 13, 4 and Acts 13, 22, it has that phrasing. He was a man after God's own heart. In 2 Chronicles 16, 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And that's just not talking about David. The eyes of the Lord 
move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Do you fall in that category? Is your heart so completely his that he's able to strongly support you? See, I, I, I listen to people sometimes say, well, you know, well, God didn't come through for me, or God didn't do this, or God didn't do that. Well, here's a good place to go back to. It says that he will strongly support those whose heart is completely his. That's just as much of a promise to us today as anything we find in the New Testament. Hallelujah. Oswald Chamber Sanders said this about David. He said, he swung between extremes, but paradoxically evidenced an abiding stability. The oscillating needle always returned to its pole, God himself. See, he was a man after God's own heart. No matter what happened in his life, the mistakes he made, the, the places where he got off track, he, he always brought himself back to true north, which was God. That's the characteristic God was looking for. He was looking for somebody whose heart was totally consumed with the Father God. And he didn't even know him as father. He just knew him as God Almighty. The concept of father, you know, had, I don't think had really been in play as of just yet. But the, I think that one of the first principles that we need to talk about where it comes to talking about David is the fact that he developed his relationship with God early. And as parents, it's our responsibility to make sure that as we raise children, that they have an opportunity to develop their relationship with God early. You know, it's said, I think, that the, um, the character, the nature, the, the personality of an individual is basically already pretty much set in stone by about age three. We as parents have so much influence in those early years to point our children either toward or away. And it's not just in the first three years. You know, as long as they're in your house, you have that opportunity to continually bring them back and to point them to, to God at an early age. And David learned all about God. He gave himself to a relationship with God early. As a young shepherd boy, you know, it was, he was found himself out, himself out on, the, on the fields, in the hills with the flocks. You know, that task fell to him as the youngest of the family. And a, a writer by the name of F.B. Meyer put it this way. He said, nature was his nurse, his companion, his, his teacher, the moorlands around Bethlehem, forming the greater part of the Judean plateau, do not, however, present features of soft beauty, but are wild, gaunt, strong character breeding. Their shepherds have always led and watched their flocks, and their David first imbibed that knowledge of natural scenery and of pastoral pursuits which colored all his afterlife in poetry as the contents of the vat of the dyer's hand. Such were the schools and schoolmasters of his youth. 
out there on the, on the hills of the Judean countryside, he found himself alone. But he wasn't alone. You know, and that's it. You know, we, we consider solitude as something that I, there's nobody else around. But as a believer, we are never really alone. Thankfully, you know, David was separated from people, but he wasn't alone. And so he gave himself, was able to give himself to the one who was always present. And in, in that environment, he, became, he came to a place where he knew God well. He knew him intimately. He developed a praise life, a prayer life. He saw God in everything. It, it, it molded him and shaped him and made him what was going to be needed for the real king of Israel. And out in that solitude, you know, we sometimes look at solitude as a bad thing. But when you, when you find yourself in places where, okay, maybe you're not necessarily cut off from people completely, but it feels like you're all alone. Remember, you're never alone. You as a new creature, as a New Testament believer, have got the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost with you at all times. There's always a party of four going on. Always. And if people aren't around, it's a wonderful opportunity to develop the relationship with those other three individuals and to get to know them in such a way that you wouldn't have opportunity to if you were surrounded by people. Because with people come complications and distractions and issues. But when you're, when, when you're alone physically, you have an opportunity. You know, I, I, I think um, so many times you know, we've told you know, people who are single, whether they're young or older, you have, an, you have a wonderful opportunity right now in this part of your life before there's a distraction of spouse and family to just center in on God and to have such a relationship with him that goes so deep that you really don't need these other things. See... We're not, really, we're not really good candidates for marriage until we don't need marriage. Because really, our dependence can't be on another natural person. Our dependence has to come from being dependent on God himself, on Jesus, on the Holy Spirit. When we do that, when, we're, when we find our completeness in, in him, then we're ready to include somebody else in our lives. Because when we don't do that then that other person becomes the source of so many things that God is supposed to be the source of. God is supposed to be the source of my joy, of my happiness, of my contentment. Not another person. Because people are fallible. If you don't know that, people have flaws. They have faults. And at some point, no matter how wonderful they are, they will let you down. And if that's what your eyes are on, you're going to, you're going to be so in trouble. You're going to be so discouraged. But if, you're, if, you're, if your realization is that all those things come from the Father, they come from your relationship with Him, from the fact that Jesus lives on the inside of you, that the Holy Spirit is equipping you and, and giving you what you need, you know, then you're ready for somebody else in your life. Amen. Um, then there was obscurity. David was a man who found himself, a young man who found himself just in obscurity. I mean, what's obscurity? It's like you're like nobody. Nobody considers you. 
He was unseen, unknown, unappreciated. He was put out there on the fields. He was the youngest. Nobody, didn't, I mean, I don't see any evidence that anybody ever really came out much to check on him, you know, to see what was going on, see if he was even still alive, except when he herded the flocks back in. You know, then it was evident that he was still here and, and you know, he probably got in trouble if there was, if there was not enough sheep, you know, in the, in the herd. But he did his job out there. His, he, he was so obscure that when the prophet Samuel came to anoint one of the sons of Jesse, that's the only direction he had, when he showed up at Jesse's house, and he knew he was supposed to anoint one of Jesse's sons. He went through all the rest of them and looked around and said, because as each one passed before him, the Lord would say, no, not this one. No, not this one. No, not this one. No, not this one. And they passed all through, and he's going, uh, is this it? Don't you, is this all the sons you have? See, nobody even considered David. He was out of sight, out of mind. And somebody had to bring it up. And they go, oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is David. He's out, he's out watching the sheep. And they said, bring him in. And, of course, as soon as he laid eyes on him, he knew this is the one. Can you imagine such a thing? I am sure that all these other guys that passed before Samuel, probably there were, there were characteristics, their natural characteristics that may have stood out as they stood before the prophet. And he would think, well, surely this is the one. And the Lord would go, nope, that's not it. Nope, that's not it. Nope, that's not it. Well, this guy, I mean, he's married. He's old enough. He has family. He understands this. He understands that. I mean, he looks good. Oh, he can, he, nope, that's not the one. That's not the one. So you bring in this young man off the fields that had been sitting out there with the sheep that nobody even thought about. But you see, being out there in the fields just didn't bother him. He, he had a great life, a great relationship going on out there. Then there was monotony that he experienced out there while he was guarding his sheep. Same thing, day in, day out. Sheep are not smart enough to, you know, just suddenly, you know, surprise you one day, going, surprise, you know, David, we got a surprise for you today. No, it was the same thing over and over again. Every morning, get up, do the same thing. Go to bed, do the same thing, you know. It was just one thing after another, just day after day after day. You know, sometimes we have these lives that we think are just so monotonous, you know, so boring. There's no excitement. Then when excitement comes, we want to, I'll go back to boring. Thank you very much. You know, because sometimes the excitement that comes in our lives is not the excitement we want. It's not pleasant excitement. It's, it's, it's something else. But he was out there learning in the monotony of things that, that there's a reason for routine. And it's in these little things that we prove ourselves. It says in Luke 1612 that the fact is let's just turn over there. Luke 1612, and then we're going to Matthew after that. It 
It says here in Luke 16, 12, it says, And have you not heard? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? The guiding principle here is that David was being faithful to his father. These sheep were not his sheep. And he identified them at one point. You know, that they were my father's sheep. I've been out watching my father's sheep. And he proved himself faithful. You know, sometimes when things are monotonous, we will let down our guard and just go, ha, oh, good enough. Good enough. That's good enough. That's no big deal. But in Psalm 78, it says that he, he shepherded those sheep with, ex, with integrity of heart and guided them with skillful hands. That's a person who has excellence. Monotony you know, can be a dangerous thing. And yet David took the monotony to develop skill. I mean, I, I look back, you know, at what God did in him while he was out there as just a young man. And I see where just the very way he conducted himself he took these sheep that did not belong to him. Now, he always recognized they were not his sheep. They were his responsibility. Just, just doing that prepared him to guide a nation of people that were not his. They were God's. He learned to have care for those sheep. He learned how to watch over them. He learned how to protect them. He learned how to care for them. He learned how to nurse them back to health when they needed it. He learned how to rescue them when they were in trouble. He learned all of those things, and they were not his. They belonged to his father. Tell you what, you have to always keep in mind, you know, when God gives you something to do that involves people, remember, they're his people. They're his ministry. You're just participating in it. There's a lot of ministers who need to learn that today. Um, Matthew 25, 21, and 23 talks about being faithful and little. You know, it doesn't seem like being the shepherd boy was such a big deal. But he learned to be faithful in those little areas. He learned to be faithful in something that didn't seem to be all that important. And today, we should be just like David, always learning to be faithful in little things. Not letting monotonous things, because, you know, in the life of a church, there are things that are just you just have to do day after day, service after service. And it seems monotonous, and it seems routine, and it seems like it's no big deal, that it's not important. But everything is important. And the person who's faithful in those little areas, God will be able to promote. It's, it's the little things this is what I said before. It's in the little things that we prove ourselves capable of big things. Mm -hmm. God's not likely to take anybody and set them in a place of doing big things if they have not proven themselves in the little things. I can, I'm not going to say it never happens, but it's, 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 not, it's, not, it's not the character that I've seen from God. He wants you to prove yourself that you can be trusted with little things, be trusted with things that don't belong to you, and then he will 
give you more to do. But those things have to always be kept in mind. You know, while David was out there, you know, with the solitude, the monotony, you know, he also learned how to worship God. He learned how to let just things flow out of him. He began to write psalms. He began, he began just, just to let his heart pour out to the Father. He, he, he saw, I mean, he, it's just like the, the writer said earlier about, about the, the nature that all surrounded him, you know, that that became part and parcel of his psalms throughout his life. And, and he always, I think he probably always could go back and relate to those days as a shepherd boy. And in the middle of being out there where it seems like nothing much was in the happening, he learned how to trust God. When the lion and the bear showed up, he went right after him. He didn't run from a fight. He went after him. Those were his sheep, the sheep that he had been entrusted with that were about to be killed by a lion and a bear. And he wasn't about to let that happen. See, he was already exhibiting his, his role as a king. I will protect God's people because he was protecting his father's sheep out there on the country hillside, on the hills. He was already doing that. And he was already learning how to let God... God's abilities flow through him. How is he, as just a young man, going to be able to cope with a lion and a bear except through the hand of God? He needed to learn that because he was going to face a giant soon. He needed to learn that because he would face a lot of things during his reign. He needed to, he needed to really get established in the fact that it was God who would put him over in all things. He couldn't trust himself, he couldn't trust his own abilities, but he could trust the ability that God would give him, that God would, would use, use him in, in, in situations. He could know that God had his back every time and would bring him out. He learned that just being a shepherd boy where nobody was even considering him, where nobody was even thinking about him, where he was... You know, for all intensive purposes, a forgotten purpose, person. But yet... He spent the time wisely. You know, God's never in a hurry when it comes to developing inner qualities in people. Philippians 1.6 says, God, he, he who has begun a good work in you will perform it or complete it to, comp to completion. You know, and when you spend time like David did, just letting things develop, like your relationship, letting your character, letting your ability, letting your faith life develop in times where it seems like nothing is going on, when nobody recognizes you, nobody cares, it's just some little something you've been given to do. When you see that the way God sees that and just develop yourself in those areas, you know, mighty things await you. You know, and it's not a hurried process. Don't get, don't get ahead of God. Just let things happen, you know, in the right timing, like we said before. Now go with me to Psalm 23. We're going to close with this for tonight. They say that those very hills that David had the sheep on when he was such a young man out there all alone are the same hills that the shepherds were on when the, when the angels appeared and said there was a Savior had been born. Isn't that wonderful to know that that same location that had been consecrated by the life David lived among those sheep 
where he had written such wonderful things. Those same hills are where God chose to announce with an angelic host the birth of the Savior. But I, you know, I read Psalm 23 and 24, and, and I see the heart of David here. The Lord is my shepherd. So many of us could, could repeat this without even looking at the page. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through, remember that, through. It's not a place where you stay. You're going through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. It sounds like a man, a young man, who had found a place of great contentment, a place of great peace, a place of great joy, just because he had developed a relationship with God. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean heart, hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. What a wonderful revelation was established in him at an early age. At an early age. And it, and it suited him, it equipped him, it readied him for the plan of God that was yet to unfold in his life. See, we have to, we have to be very conscious that we develop ourselves. You know, maybe you weren't raised in a Christian home, but as a young believer... You can, you can go back to that, that, that young at heart kind of place that, that I'm young in the Lord and I'm going, to, I'm going to develop my relationship with the Lord. And naturally speaking, like I said earlier, for us as parents, we need to do everything we can to see that our children have the biggest and most opportune times to develop their relationship with God when they're young. It's easy to let your children go out into this world when they're grown, when you know that God is first and foremost in their lives. It's easy. There's no reason to fear. There's no reason to be concerned about whether they'll fall away. There's no reason to be concerned about whether they'll give in to temptation that this world presents to them when you know that their relationship is so mightily established in the things of God. I sent a 17-year-old off to the University of South Florida 
knowing that the God that was on the inside of him was big enough to keep him. That he was his own man. That he, you know, this is, this is, I mean, we're not patting ourselves on the back. We made sure he had an opportunity. I can't develop a relationship for him. I couldn't develop a relationship for my children. They had to do that on, on their own. But they had to have an environment. They had to have a place. They had to have a home where that was possible. And it's up to us to make sure that we provide those opportunities. You know, maybe your children are grown, but maybe they're not. Maybe there are children yet to be born in your home. Maybe they're young. You know, maybe they're small. You know, maybe they're of school age. You still have that opportunity to make sure that God becomes real and he becomes big in their lives while they're in your care. It's the only thing that will make them successful when they leave your home. David had that opportunity out there on the hillsides with the sheep. And it paid big rewards, big dividends. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.